1: That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500, 500 Man, that sunset is gorgeous.
2: Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I
3: could stay here forever.
2: Carvana.
4: Good morning, I'm Jane Pauley, and this is Sunday Morning. From the cover of Playboy to her years on television's Baywatch, she was one of the biggest stars of the 90s. Jim Axelrod catches up with Pamela Anderson.
5: After all she's been through, Pamela Anderson can still laugh.
6: People would say, what do you want to be when you grow up? I wanted to be an archaeologist and a nun. Okay, those are the two things I wanted to be. But I've... (laughs) There's still archaeology
5: available. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> but those bright lights were dark times for her.
6: When I was a mother, that saved me. You know, if I wasn't a mom, I don't think I would have survived.
5: Pamela Anderson, telling her own story.
6: the heart of the property.
5: Ahead, the on Sunday morning.
4: Lee Cowan this morning checks out a surprising new movie, pairing Hollywood royalty with a gridiron grate.
7: What is it about Tom Brady that you like so much?
8: I liked him because I thought he was a nice boy. Handsome, (laughs) adorable, (laughs) gorgeous.
7: It was a love affair too good for Hollywood to pass up.
9: There's Tom. Oh, Oh, what a (gasps) beautiful man. I like
8: Gronkowski. We know, Trish, we've all read your Gronk erotica. It's not erotica, it's fan fiction.
9: Very sexy fan fiction.
7: How this impressive Hollywood foursome took on a story more than 80 years in the making.
8: I don't think we were that good, do you, Betty?
7: (laughs) Later on Sunday morning.
4: Califasene introduces us to a rising star of politics, Maryland governor-elect Wes Moore. Mark Whitaker recounts the story of one couple's remarkable escape from slavery and the life they built in freedom. Plus a story from Steve Hartman and more on this Sunday morning for the 15th of January, 2023. We'll be back after this. Maryland will swear in its first black governor later this week in Annapolis. Califasane introduces us to Wes Moore, an already accomplished public servant with quite an agenda.
10: Politics is a very humbling business. Mm. Uh, When we first got into this race, I was polling at 1%. He's a best-selling author, an army captain, and now a first-times-the-charm
11: politician. Maryland's Democratic governor-elect Wes Moore won in a landslide.
3: Thank you, Maryland!
11: Beating his Republican opponent with more than twice as many votes. We ended up receiving 89% of the vote Mm. in Baltimore. A vote of confidence from a city that's struggling. High crime rates, high poverty rates, high unemployment rates. A lot of smart people have been working on these issues for a long time. What makes you think you can do something that all these smart, talented people haven't been able to do?
10: I think we have to approach this that it's not about what program can we institute. It's about how are we changing the entire human condition that people are existing in changing the entire human condition. That's exactly right, because you know, you could have a person- That's a tall order for a governor. It's a very tall order, but it's doable. We've gotta change the entire ecosystem. It's the air people breathe, it's the water that they drink, it's the homes that they are living in, it's transportation assets they have or don't have, it's the way they are policed. And that's something that a governor can actually fix.
11: For instance, in Maryland, as in most other states, even if someone doesn't personally kill anyone, if they're involved in a felony that leads to murder, they can be charged with so-called felony murder.
10: Wes Moore told us he supports a bill that would prohibit that
11: charge for juveniles.
10: When you're looking at the juvenile justice system, we can't forget these are children Hmm. that we're talking about.
11: So are you open to signing that bill?
10: Yeah, I'm absolutely open to looking at how can we come up with ways of being able to make sure that our society is accountable, yet at the same time, never forgetting we're still talking about children in all this.
11: You sound like you could do this
10: in your sleep. If I busted into your bedroom at three in the morning, (laughs) you could give a stump speech. Well, I I, I love this work. I'd never run for public office before, but I've been a public servant for my entire life. He seems like someone who gets a vision and then pursues it. How stubborn is he?
12: (laughs) I wouldn't say stubborn. He's a wonderful partner.
13: He's hard charging. He's mission driven.
11: Dawn Fleithmore and her husband have been married for 15 years. So... I need on tape that she said about stopping. I was gonna say, I think I might use that at home. I tell my wife, No, 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 I'm hard charging. I'm, so <laughs> I'm mission driven. True. Since 2016, Wes and Don Moore have lived in Baltimore. This week, the family is moving to the Governor's Mansion in Maryland's capital. You've got two kids who grew up here in Baltimore. Yes. How did you sell them on Annapolis?
12: <laughs> well, the you know, puppy. <laughs> the puppy. We will be getting a puppy.
11: One of your own is going to be running the state yeah, government. We're so excited about it. During the Bishop Dante Hickman leads Southern Baptist Church in East Baltimore, where Westmore is a member. Do you remember when he told you, Bishop, I'm thinking of maybe running for governor?
3: It was almost like we had to push him. We really felt like he had The moral compass and clarity, and that he could build consensus around the state. And he has a resume seemingly
11: built for this moment. He's a Johns Hopkins graduate, a Rhodes scholar, and a soldier who fought in Afghanistan. He worked as an investment banker and ran Robin
10: Hood, a nonprofit organization. There was never a time when I said, this is gonna be great when I run for governor one day. But every single one of those experiences prepared me for this. Wesley Watende Omari
11: Moore, 44, was born in Tacoma Park, Maryland, a suburb of Washington. His father died in 1982 when Moore was three.
10: This is uh, my grandfather, Reverend James Joshua Thomas. This picture was actually taken right around the time that my dad died.
11: When Moore was five, his mother took him and his two sisters
10: to live with her parents in the Bronx in New York City. Their house was barely big enough for them. But when my mom called and said she needed help, they figured out a way to make it big enough for all of us. By 1989, Moore was acting out. I am a kid who was 11 years old with handcuffs on my wrists.
11: I think you might be the first governor who has ever
10: previously been arrested for graffiti. (laughs) That's probably right. (laughs) And I think about how different that could have turned out. right? Because in my case, I'm sitting there in the back of a police car with my friend, and then eventually, after you know, a, a, a talk and a lecture, uh, the officer pulls me out of the car, unlocks the cuffs, and lets me go.
11: It's a story he told in his best-selling 2011 memoir, The Other Westmore.
10: But these days, it comes with a moral. I want us to be a society that, that believes in second chances. I want the people who are receiving the second chances also understand that, you know, at some point, second chances become last chances. Right. And I want people to understand their own individual power of being able to change the lives of people. Moore's own transformation
11: began when his family sent him to military school in Pennsylvania. He was 13. A year later, his mom moved back to a suburb outside of Baltimore for a
10: steady job with benefits at a nonprofit. That job didn't just change her life, it changed the trajectory for our entire family. And so it was from that point that when people said, where are you from, my answer was easy, Baltimore.
11: Many found that answer misleading. During the campaign, Moore was criticized for exaggerating his connection to Baltimore. But he hasn't wavered.
10: I'm not a Baltimorean by birth. I'm a Baltimorean by choice. I believe in this place. I believe in this city. I believe in the people here.
11: There's a lot of work to do, right? Yes. Yes, there is. And now, as he gets ready for life as governor in Annapolis, he is confident that they believe in him. What do people in this congregation,
10: what do they ask you to do there? Don't forget them. The thing that they oftentimes say most to me is, just don't forget us.
12: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole?
4: Sudden fame took Pamela Anderson from a small town in Canada to a wild ride in Hollywood. But as Jim Axelrod discovers, turns out you can go home again.
5: After decades away, chasing the bright lights she so badly wanted and catching some she did not, Pamela Anderson has come home.
6: I was a mess. I came home in pieces.
5: To the sweeping, rustic beauty of the Pacific Northwest.
6: Well, it's kind of this crazy calmness. And
5: her hometown on Vancouver Island called Ladysmith.
6: It's a healing space.
5: No paparazzi in Ladysmith?
6: Nothing too bad. I feel very protected here.
5: Where she found the tranquility she needed to restart her career and reset her life.
6: I mean, I'm usually running through there barefoot, you know, all times of the year.
5: Yeah, this is a different kind of beach than the one most people associate you with. <laughs> that beach, the one she patrolled in the 1990s TV show Baywatch, had made hers, for a time, into one of the best-known faces and bodies in the world.
6: Dan's getting away with murder in a bikini. I mean, I didn't have to do anything.
5: You just had a run along the beach. In slow motion. And you blew up. <laughs>
6: just took off like crazy. It was like 150 countries. I didn't even know there were 150 countries.
5: (laughs) The fame came with some top shelf chaos. Six marriages, a case of hepatitis C, and the first sex tape of the internet age, made on her honeymoon with Motley Crue drummer Tommy Lee. But after years of other people telling her story on their terms. I wanna take control of the narrative for the first time. Pamela Anderson is now telling it on hers. Her memoir and the Netflix companion documentary drop at the end of the month.
6: I'm writing my book. This documentary is coming out. Then I can put all of this behind me.
5: All of this is an often harrowing tale. I imagine you almost had that conversation with yourself. If I'm going to do this, I got to write honestly.
6: You have to write the full picture.
5: Which meant describing a childhood shaped by trauma. There's a scene where your father is holding your mother's head to the stove and you punch your father in the
6: face. Mm-hmm. These were pivotal moments for me.
5: She was failed by so many who kids count on to feel safe. Her father.
6: I was told not to bring the kittens into the house. And I had my kittens in the house. And So he ended up putting them in a paper bag and running down to the beach with me screaming after him. And he drowned the kittens. How old were you? I uh, probably six or seven.
5: The babysitter, she says, sexually abused her.
6: A female predator. That was tough to understand.
5: How did that shape you?
6: Well, it made me trust people, you know, less and less.
5: She also writes vivid accounts of being raped at 12 and again at 14.
6: The whole point is not keeping those secrets or those things buried. Amid
5: all that horror was a small stroke of good fortune. Hired by a beer company to model after she was spotted at a football game in one of their t-shirts, Lucky Break became life changer when Hugh Hefner saw the ads. Next thing she knew, she was on a plane to L.A. When the opportunity arose, you must have grabbed it because you could get out of this place where there were so many bad memories.
6: Yes, and my grandfather taught me, you know, you're not an extension of the small town, you're not an extension of your parents, you're a brand new light given to this planet to do whatever you want with. In adventure, I wasn't afraid of it. I said, let's just go, let's see where it takes me.
5: Within months in 1989, she was on the first of 14 covers of Playboy. You write that you'd been sexualized so young, Playboy was an opportunity for you to take your sexuality back.
6: With a vengeance. Oh, it's textbook if you I want to get into some psychology, but it's facing it and dealing with it in my own way.
5: Her way included an impulsive marriage to Tommy Lee after knowing him for just four days. Her lurch for security turned a bad boy rocker into her own Prince Charming.
6: Tommy and I fell in love. It felt like this really safe place. He would arrive at the house on a horse with covered, you know, in a full night gear on, knight in shining armor and read a scroll to me. It was just so hyper heightened, but it felt good. It felt like, oh my gosh, this is what it's all about. This is true love. It was so romantic. It was so over the top. But that's not a foundation
5: for sustainable love.
6: No, it's not a foundation for sustainable love. I haven't done that yet. (laughs) I haven't figured that part out yet.
5: She may have been trying to buffer pain with a fairy tale, but there would be no happily ever after.
6: After being with Tommy, after that tape was stolen.
5: Ah, yes, that tape, the one she and Tommy made on their honeymoon. It was stolen from their safe. Their intimate moments turned into a profit center for others. What do you want people to understand about it?
6: That it was stolen property, that it was two crazy naked people in love. I mean, we were naked all the time and filming each other and being silly, but those tapes were not meant for anybody else to see. And I've not seen it to this day. It was very hurtful.
14: I
11: love you, Pam. I've been a fan of yours for so long, but I gotta say, watching you in that sex tape was like a whole new experience for me, uh, because up until then, I'd never seen anyone get gonorrhea
5: before. She became a painful cultural punchline.
10: That's right, Miss Anderson is an actress, a model, a writer, a producer. I think for a while, she was a hooker.
6: And she still has time to Tommy Lee's on a yacht in St. Barts.
5: Her marriage to Tommy Lee wouldn't survive. Neither would five others that came after. She was barely keeping it together, focusing on the two young sons she had with Lee.
6: I was a mother. That saved me. You know, if I wasn't a mom, I don't think I would have survived.
5: Pamela Anderson knew she had some work to do.
6: To actually dig into those moments, those things we suppress and repress. And I needed to do this.
5: And do it alone. Are you all done falling in love?
6: I don't know. Right now, it's really good for me to be alone for the first time. (laughs) You know, I'm usually, people are in and out of my life or people come into my life. And I thought, you know, I just, the common denominator in all these relationships is me. So I need to work on that.
5: To conquer the demons, she traveled back to where she'd first confronted them, back home, to the isolation of Ladysmith.
6: This full circle thing was very therapeutic. And I knew I kind of had to retrace my steps as a kid. And it was very visual and very triggering um, and very therapeutic to be home. There was a lot of anger. I felt volcanic. I just was, this rage was coming out of me. and I thought, whoa, 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 where's that coming from? But just little by little, I started getting stronger and stronger.
5: Last year, she decided it was time for the next stage of her healing.
6: You want to know something? I always wanted my name in the papers.
5: One that would take place 3,000 miles from her home in Canada on Broadway.
6: The name on everybody's lips is gonna be...
5: (laughs) Playing Roxy Hart, the femme fatale in the musical Chicago, to some surprisingly good reviews. It's
6: good, isn't it, Grant? I wanted to know what I was capable of. Great. I need to know that I'm good at something, that I have some talent. It was frightening, but that's a good feeling. I mean, you wanna push yourself out of your comfort zone. What was the most
5: frightening part of it?
6: Singing, can't do that. Dancing, can't do that. Acting, can't do that. Like, how am I gonna do all three together?
5: But you had great reviews.
6: Yeah, I know, (laughs) that was shocking.
5: (laughs) Just outside the stage door, Pamela Anderson, at the age of 55, found just what she needed.
6: I felt rooted for, which was a different feeling than I felt before.
5: The perfect feeling to bring back home with her.
6: I feel like I've left here, did something crazy, and came back home in one piece.
5: Where her pain is rooted, and now so is her healing.
6: I don't know what I'm capable of. I still don't know, but I think that was the beginning. All the rest of it, it's, you know, behind me. I feel like I'm in a really good place.
5: Sounds like a nice
15: life.
6: It's nice, and look around me. I'm very blessed.
4: When four Hollywood legends team up for a film, there must be a pretty good reason. And when that reason is football superstar Tom Brady, it's worth a closer look, as Lee Cowan discovered.
8: You are gonna be watching the game on Sunday?
7: For a month of Sundays. Years of Sundays, in fact.
8: To the end zone! Hello, Super Bowl!
7: The New England Patriots have had a loyal cheering squad older than the team itself.
8: I do, and my arms wave. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Yeah, you have to do something. Keeps me awake, too.
7: (laughs) That's 94-year-old Betty Pensavall, who doesn't only have a thing for football. She's got a real thing for former Patriot quarterback Tom Brady.
8: Handsome. (laughs) Adorable. (laughs) Gorgeous.
7: Her best friend, 95-year-old Elaine St. Martin, carries a bit of a Brady torch, too.
8: Yeah. I think he was really <laughs> handsome. Yeah, He was gorgeous. A lot. Gorgeous is right.
7: I hear this is a bit of a contentious thing, but when he went down to Tampa Bay, what did you guys think?
8: I was angry with him. I yeah, wanted to was. kill him <laughs> for leaving us. They both
7: forgave Tommy, as they call him. That's the nature of their friendship. It's been it, as you know, tight as know, the laces broadcast. on a football for more and than 70 years.
8: Say, we talk on the phone every day. Just say I, Even if we just called to say... Are you all right? Are you all right? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah.
7: Football was mostly just family fun I until they became widows.
8: there's a schedule. Came
7: and then game right days became the link that kept their friendship from fumbling.
8: We had the best hors d'oeuvres.
7: Every I, I game, the, they made sure no one was alone at kickoff. Patio.
8: One Sunday here, one Sunday at my house. And it, it, it would go right through the five of us. That's Claire.
7: Betty and Elaine, along with three other friends, Anita, Pat, and Claire, gathered so regularly they got a nickname, the Over 80 for Brady Club. Betty's grandson even made them matching shirts. Did you wear the shirts for every game?
8: Did we wear the shirts every game? Yeah, I sometimes didn't put it over my head. I'd hold it on me. I didn't want to spoil my hair. See? (laughs) Pat would let out screams. Every oh, time somebody shit. fumbled and did something wrong, and Claire would say, Pat, please, not so loud, not so loud. A little <laughs> cussing went on, too. Yeah. Right? <laughs> not yeah. you two. Not, not not us, no. We were always ladies, Betty. We yes, didn't. we were. Yeah. We were the ladies of the group, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah.
7: <laughs> but here's where things get about as exciting as Tom Brady trailing in overtime. He's in! Patriots win the Super Bowl! Betty's grandson, Max, who works in Hollywood, Through a Hail Mary, he pitched a movie about the Brady ladies, and guess who jumped in with both feet?
10: I want to make a movie based on your over 80 for Brady crew,
7: so... Tom Brady himself. He sent this message to Betty personally.
8: Oh my God, Max! How did you do that?
7: No grandson could have done more.
9: Is that really him or an imitation? Game's about to start.
7: Paramount Pictures, our sister company, so loved
9: the idea. Oh, what a beautiful man. So well
7: hydrated. That it
9: tapped Hollywood royalty to bring it to life.
6: Tom Brady!
9: If it hadn't been Tom Brady, I mean, what in the hell is going to rhyme with 80? (laughs) (laughs) Good point. Yep, Willie Tomlin.
7: Jane Fonda, Rita Moreno, and Sally Field.
9: Finding stories about older women, older women are really interesting. And they're a huge audience for, say, things you hadn't thought of, sports.
7: In 80 for Brady, out next month, this football foursome tries to do what the real Brady ladies never did. Get to the biggest game of all.
9: I'm serious. Let's go to the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is no place for four old women. This could be Tom's last one. He's almost 40. That's like 80 in people years. Yeah, we're 80 in people years.
7: There's no shortage of age jokes or spicy ones.
9: Good thing I brought my strap on. Wow, that's a fanny pack. Well, not if you don't wear it around your fanny. If you wear it like this, it's a strap on. Tom
7: Brady bravely plays himself as does fellow teammate Rob Gronkowski.
2: Gronk! Hi! so big! Thank you.
9: We had this wonderful uh, locker room scene, and I tell you, I got, you know, I'm 91. But you know, I walked into that damn room and I got turned on and I thought, what? Oh yeah, here we go! (laughs) I knew you'd say that, I was waiting for you. She doesn't like it when I talk about my sexuality.
7: If their friendship seems especially familiar, it may be because they all rose to fame during about the same era.
8: A boy like that would kill your brother.
7: In the 60s, Rita Moreno was starring in West Side Story. Lily Tomlin was creating unforgettable characters on Laughing.
16: Is this the party who has answered my call?
7: Shall I tell
0: you what I would like?
16: I think I know.
7: Jane Fonda was bearing it all in Barbarella, And Sally Field was heavenly in The Flying Nine.
9: I wanted the flying nun part. You did not. I did. But you wanted Barbarella, too, you told me. Oh, she says that to everybody. I that said that is. about, Bar- no, no, I wanted the flying nun. I never even heard of Barbarella. <laughs> uh, I remember Sally oh. in a film called Sybil. <laughs> oh, in which I <laughs> wanted Sybil's part, too. <laughs> if you did this to give us something to remember, honey, it, it worked. Like because the real
7: Brady ladies, I, friendship didn't just this. happen though. Absolutely. it took work. What you
4: have to do is you have to be intentional, like, I never used to be intentional. I would meet Sally Field, for example, but not pursue her, well I did pursue oh, you. Oh
9: goodness That's sakes, I, I couldn't make you stop. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm very reclusive, I mean I'm like notorious hermit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't really like people that much. No, I really don't either. I try to avoid them. Me too. But those who are (laughs) intentional, you just you just can't get away from them. So you just give in. They won't go away. Especially for women.
4: But Fonda says
7: there's a caveat.
4: Women's friendships are very different than men's friendships, and they're very important to our health. We because you guys you kind of sit side by side and watch sports or cars or women. Women sit facing each other eye to eye and they say I'm in trouble I need you
9: can you help me you know we're not afraid of being vulnerable and that's when Rita Moreno genuinely surprised the room I don't have many friends I don't have many friends and I don't have many friends in show business either I don't trust them I've been betrayed so many times by them and by my my, oh my stupid God. insistence on believing in people who uh, were really not very nice to me no i'm really sorry rita yeah we're gonna try to do something
4: about we're it gonna, I'm gonna, gonna make, be in make up we're gonna prove to you that there are three women here you can trust
9: well maybe not actually me. <laughs> actually i do trust you yeah you and i'm not so sure between the four of them they have enough emmys
7: and golden globes to fill a stadium as well as five oscars three tonys and a pair of grammys too what's it like being in that position i guess where you've done this a million times, you know what you need to do, you know what you're supposed to do, you know what you can
3: do, probably better than the director does. I don't know
16: about all of you, but it never to me feels like, oh, oh, this is easy, you know, this is, we could just show up and never, ever, and not once in my whole life has it felt like. No,
9: no. It was fun to be with all of you and to just laugh and everything, but in reality, it was hard work. I mean, we... Very. There was a lot of physicality. These are my dancers!
10: Prove it. What dance moves you ladies know? A twist. A jerk? Let's do it!
9: Hooray! Hooray! For Betty and Elaine... Oh, it's so much
7: fun. It's all a bit overwhelming. First Tom Brady, then their own private premiere. The only thing missing was the red carpet. Oh, and one other person. Was Tom Brady at the premiere?
8: Oh, no. No. No, he wasn't. No, too bad.
9: Yeah. Huh?
7: Yeah. <laughs> Sadly, the over-80 for Brady club has dwindled to two. Claire passed away. Anita and Pat are in an assisted living facility. But Betty and Elaine's devotion to their team and to each other is strong enough for all of them.
8: Good friends stick together and stay together and do for each other. It's all about friendship. And don't get into arguments with people. Life's too short to uh, not get along.
7: The only way this football fairy tale could get any better, they say, is to have just one more wish fulfilled. You've never seen Tom Brady in person?
8: No. Yeah. Why, like, is he here? <laughs> is he here? Am I, gonna f- I hope we see them before we die. <laughs> <laughs> they better hurry up. <laughs> hurry up because our lives are getting short. Yeah, 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 yeah.
4: Steve Hartman introduces us to some school kids, making sure the wheels on the bus aren't the only thing going round and round.
3: At Glen Lake Elementary in Hopkins, Minnesota, recess is a mixed blessing. On the one hand, there's so much to do. But on the other hand, not everyone can do it.
4: It just didn't seem fair that some kids were just left out. And it's really sad to see
8: other kids go through that they didn't look happy and recess is about having fun
3: Glen lake has a lot of students with physical disabilities but no wheelchair merry-go-round swings or any adaptive playground equipment whatsoever come on in which really bothered the kids in betsy julian's fifth grade class to the point where one day they asked her why can't we just buy the equipment ourselves
8: I said, do you know how much that
3: costs?
8: Yeah.
3: Costs a lot of money, $300,000. $300,000 by her estimation. But the kids were undeterred. They started collecting spare change, then held a bake sale, printed flyers, and went door to door. Then they began cold calling businesses and even got restaurants to donate a portion of their profits. This went on for months until last week when they hit their goal. We were
6: all very happy on the inside and on the outside.
11: The smile on my
8: face, I could say, was an ear-to-ear smile. I was just really happy that we made it.
3: Reese Riley says they work so hard. It was overwhelming to finally know a more inclusive playground would be coming. You're a good kid. Thanks. And as for the kids who will benefit, they seem to appreciate the effort almost more than the result
8: first
4: time I set foot on this playground, I'm probably going to start crying. From seeing the effort that all the school has made.
3: Mrs. Julian couldn't agree more.
12: My future as an adult is bright knowing that this generation of students, of changemakers, see something that needs fixing and they go for it head first. The whole thing.
3: Head first and dive deep.
12: What's our next step?
3: After raising the $300,000, missus Julian's class set a new goal, to the ceiling and beyond. They now hope to buy adaptive playground equipment for other schools in the district, turning loneliness and isolation into child's
15: play. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
4: about an enslaved couple's daring escape to freedom and a legacy that lives on.
14: Inside the Boston Public Library, deep in the stacks, are clues to an escape from slavery in 1848, a breathtaking combination of daring and deception.
13: There's just something magical when you hold this paper in your hand.
14: Author Ilyan Wu has spent the last seven years combing through archives from Georgia to Massachusetts. This is an illustration of what Ellen looked like as she was escaping.
13: It's an engraving based on a daguerreotype image of Ellen Craft.
14: Ellen Craft, an enslaved woman and seamstress living in this house in Macon, Georgia. She was the daughter of an enslaved woman who had been impregnated by her white enslaver.
13: When Ellen Craft was 11 years old, her mother, Maria, had to watch as her daughter was given away as a wedding gift to her enslaver's oldest daughter.
14: So this was her half-sister?
13: This was her half-sister, yes. Wow.
14: In her early 20s, Craft married an enslaved man, William Craft, a skilled cabinet maker. Wu lays out the Craft story in her new book, Master Slave Husband Wife. It's published by Simon & Schuster, part of our parent company, Paramount Global.
13: They were afraid to have children in slavery because their enslaver could reach down into the cradle that they had made for their child and take their child away. And there's nothing they could do in the slave system in order to stop that.
14: So they were doing it in some ways for their children. even For posterity. They, they, and before they even had children. Yes. They came up with a bold plan. Ellen would disguise herself as a wealthy white man who was traveling with his enslaved person, her husband, William. They would escape to the North in plain sight.
13: She put on this disguise to conceal both her gender and her race. And to that, she added disability. She knew that she would have to sign for William as her slave at various hotels and other stops, and she couldn't do that because she'd been denied literacy. So she had to figure out how to get somebody else to sign for her or avoid that situation. So what did she do? So she puts her arm in a sling, and she also puts poultices on her face. It almost serves as a kind of a mask, I think, too.
14: What relationship are you to William and Ellen Craft?
13: They are my
16: great-great-grandparents on my mother's side.
14: As a child, Peggy Trotter Damon Priestley heard about the incredible journey of her great-great-grandparents.
16: As black people in America, we have to wear a mask, often. We can't always allow people to know what we're thinking. So this masking and this disguise and this ability to be in the room and absorb was so incredible that it enabled them throughout their four days of escape to encounter certain situations and figure out what to
14: do. The Crafts made their way from Macon through the South on trains and steamboats, fending off challenges from passengers and ticket agents. It all almost ended in Baltimore, the last stop before the North. An officer confronted them, and Ellen argued back, saying, you have no right to detain us here.
13: Finally, the official says, all right, I'll just let you go.
14: So it was almost like a wartime border crossing. Yes. The Crafts traveled first to Philadelphia, then Boston, where they became the toast of the abolitionist community. They spoke at historic Faneuil Hall and became part of a roadshow featuring abolitionists like William Wells Brown and Frederick Douglass.
13: This place is just completely filled.
14: You think about it as a roadshow, it was the star production of that season.
13: Yes, you have like a marquee name there.
14: The craft stayed at a house in Boston's largely black Beacon Hill neighborhood. But the danger wasn't over. The public attention alerted their former enslavers, who sent so-called slave hunters up north to capture them. Congress had just passed the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850, which required the public to help capture enslaved people who escaped. But the abolitionist community in Boston wasn't having it. The slave hunters were harassed both by rock-throwing crowds and the legal system.
13: There were lawsuits against the slave hunters so that that would keep them busy. And there were smaller, pettier arrests as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, They would get arrested for uh, chewing tobacco or driving too fast.
14: The slave hunters fled from Boston, but the craft still didn't feel safe. They uprooted their lives again, this time sailing
13: to Halifax
14: and then to Liverpool. In England they finally learned to read and write. It's the first edition.
13: I've never been allowed to touch it before.
14: They wrote the story of their escape, as well as letters to supporters.
13: It's just astonishing seeing these words on the page and that she's just a couple months having arrived at the school and just look at her hand. So she
14: couldn't read or write mm-hmm. before this no. and then within this short period of time, she's already writing in this beautiful handwriting. (laughs) I mean, who writes that way anymore?
13: Almost as soon as they arrive in a safe space, they do pursue their twin dreams. One is literacy and learning, and the other is to have a freeborn child. Mm -hmm. It's about a year after their arrival there that they have this wonderful firstborn Charles Eslin Phillips Craft.
14: Altogether, they would raise five children.
13: I believe that legacy
16: of the Crafts is really a part of of all of our family, all of the descendants.
14: Great-great-granddaughter Peggy Priestley channeled that legacy into civil rights advocacy, putting her at the center of the movement in the 1960s.
16: This is a shot of us at one of the churches after a march. We were jailed twice while we were there, once in a stockade and uh, it was my third time in jail in
14: the movement. Peggy Priestley is also a poet. She's used poetry to keep the daring spirits of Ellen and William Craft alive.
16: Today, we stand, our family, in a perpetual circle of grace, listening to our ancestors calling to us through blood and sacrifice and communal space to rise continue, celebrate, and persist on this continuum of collective effort and individual sacrifice, following their stepping stones to liberation.
4: Thank you for listening. Please join us when our trumpet sounds again next Sunday morning.